The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast. Ruthless but fair. Julia Hartley Brewer. Comprehensive coverage of all the new stories that matter to you. Harder, older, Hartley Brewer. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast from Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the show. I'm Julia Hartley-Brewer and you are with Talk TV. Lots to talk about, including Mob Rule, the latest immigration stats and ooh, what happened at Chorley Town Council uh, the other day. We'll talk about all of that with uh, my next guest, Claire Pearsall, who's a former government advisor and is joining us for the whole show to discuss all the big stories. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Lots to talk about um, at home and abroad. We're going to talk about future defence spending, what's happening in the budget, lots and lots to discuss. What I want to start with is our question that we're putting to our audience today, but also breaking news on the latest asylum and Im illegal immigration stats. But I'll just put the question to you first about what the Prime Minister had to say uh, uh, yesterday to police chiefs, where he warned of a growing consensus that mob rule is replacing democratic rule in this country and said collectively, we have to change that urgently. My question to you is, how do we do that? Give us a call on 0344 499-1000. Uh, you can also text on 8722. Get in touch on X at Talk TV. Calls, of course, to charge at the national rate. Text costs one na standard uh, network rate message. Uh, right, well, look, uh, let's put that question to you first of all. Um, how do we go about dealing with mob rule? And why is it when the Prime Minister talks about mob rule replacing democratic rule, that's OK? But when, say, for instance, a former Home Secretary, Sweda Bravman, talks about how uh, we've got hate marches on our streets, or when former Deputy Party Chairman, now even former Tory MP Lee Anderson, talks about, yes, as he admitted, clumsy language, directing it at specifically Siddiq Khan, but also London and Keir Starmer, and says the Islamist extremists have you know, got control of or controlling these people and our city. Um, why is it OK for Rishi Sunak to say that, but not anyone else? But why is it also OK for Rishi Sunak to, to come at this and say that mob rule is taking over when, to be fair, 14 years of a, of a government hasn't put in place anything that you can look at to say you have calmed this situation down? We have always had protests, and I'm very proud that we have protests. Outside Parliament last week, we had pro-Palestinians, we had anti-fossil fuel, and we had anti-Brexit. Everybody had their say. I don't agree with any fine. of those people, but I would, do, I, <laughs> I would march in the streets for their right to march in the streets. Precisely, and I absolutely support their right to have that. But what we shouldn't have is a two-tier policing system, which we appear to have. We have Jewish people afraid to enter the capital city in which they live on a Saturday because of these marches. Now, the police have a real responsibility to do their job. And they absolutely should. I don't think calling it mob rule is actually the right way to go about it. People storming council meetings, uh, people um, maybe intimidating people, uh, going and uh, having having demonstrations and angry protests outside MPs' personal homes. Yeah, uh, people. I don't disagree. I mean, I, mean, I, will, I don't, what what do we call that? If I not think, mob rule. Well, I think if you start calling it a mob rule, you give it some credence. You give these people an identity. And I think they've already got that. Well, I, I just disagree with the wording on it. I think that you should not have... Isn't this the issue in this country? <laughs> this country... And I think, look, you're a sensible person on this and used to work in the You know about this stuff inside out. We spend so much time in this country discussing the semantics of what someone says and not the actual facts 
of what is actually happening. So, oh, can you call it mob rule? Can you say control? We spend so much time doing that and hurty tweets and things rather than pointing out that, you know, parliamentary procedure has been changed by mob uh, mob behaviour. Mm -hmm. Threats are happening. They're stopping what teachers are saying. They're stopping what the media is saying. They certainly, you know, they certainly intimidate um, you know, me and other journalists for what we can say. Um, and, and we see that. And, 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 then, and also, people don't like to say what it is. It's Islamist extremists that are mostly doing this. Yes, there's a threat from the far right. Yes, I would say also mob rule by trans ideologists. Talk about them later in the show yeah. as well. Stopping women uh, speaking out and calling us horrible names and being abusive. Some of the events at Hyde Park Corner, absolutely outrageous. Police not acting then as well often. Um, we, we, we are allowing mob rule. And you should say it's two-tier policing. It's a failure of the political class to speak up Talk about what the real issue is and say, no, that's not good enough. You know, a protest could be peaceful, but also be illegal. Peaceful yeah, protests also yeah. must include non-intimidatory behaviour, placards, chanting as well. Just because you don't physically go up and punch someone in the face mm -hmm. doesn't mean your protest is legal. No, it absolutely doesn't. And that's where the police got it very wrong uh, last week outside the Houses of Parliament, where offensive phrases were projected onto the House of Commons. That is illegal, it shouldn't yeah. happen, and the police should have dealt with it and seemingly haven't done so. So there is a question to be answered with that. I think that anything outside an MP's house, doesn't matter which organisation you're from, is wrong. End of. Yeah. Absolutely wrong. You can do it outside the place of work, the House of Commons. People aren't snowflakes, they can actually deal with it. I, I don't buy into the fact that everybody's frightened. I went and walked outside of their load of MPs did also, and they met people and I, I think came away unscathed. I think it completely depends whether you have, in the last few weeks, had death threats to you and your family, whether yeah. how frightened you're going to be by people outside protesting for a particular cause. That doesn't mean those people shouldn't be allowed to protest. Those might not be the same people, but may unlikely to be the same people that made those threats. However, you, you've got that background. Then you've got the likes of Harriet Harman saying, well, it's all work from home, how to solve it. <laughs> but look, the, the comments that Rishi Sunak made were to police chiefs, they were behind closed doors. But we do have a little clip of what Rishi Sunak had to say in the House of Commons yesterday during Prime Minister's questions on very similar lines. Here's what he had to say. Last few weeks, we've seen members of Parliament's homes surrounded, their events disrupted, council meetings threatened, and just last week, we saw the very rules that govern this place abused because of intimidation, Mr. Speaker. While he might, while he might, Mr. Speaker, while he might want to bend to mob rule, we will face down the extremists and stand up for British values. Well, I mean, he says that. He talks a good game, doesn't he? We see that all the time. Um, but Lee Anderson hasn't got the Tory whip. Suella Bravman is no longer Home Secretary. And they've spoken out on this issue and they've been castigated for it. Again, in terms of the language that they used, as opposed to the actual subject matter they were talking about. We need to be able to have these discussions. And I think that what has gone wrong with Who's stopping us have these discussions? Each other, unfortunately. Because if you take a different point of view to somebody, you are immediately called all sorts of names. I've had a load of abuse this week. You probably get it on social oh, media yeah. for varying different things that you say. But it isn't going to stop me from saying it. And I think that is the problem. Is we've lost the art of debate. We have lost the art of actually... No, we. Again, people point. always say we. no. No, those people have in Parliament <laughs> the intolerant, the intolerant uh, of you know it's, it's the intolerant left a lot of it. Yeah. Whether it's whether it's yeah. on trans, whether it's on immigration, whether it's on Brexit, was that it's the intolerant left, but also Islamist extremists. Yeah, we need to be we able will to not call that out. Proper debate.
And we need to be able to call that out. And I think the majority of the Muslim population will also call that out. But I unfortunately, think, I think everybody is being lumped in. the Muslim population are pretty darn afraid of these people as well, frankly. Yeah, I think they are, and they are being well, intimidated. Yeah, exactly. Um, or just frankly, just going, nothing to do with me, Gov. And I have every right to say that in the same way as I say, you know, you know, just because you're Catholic, you're not expected to speak up against, you know, yes. IRA exchange. I mean, you know, you're, I mean, we shouldn't be expecting that of people, I have to say. Um, so I do want to hear from you. As I say, uh, do give us a call, 03444991000, text 87222, get in touch at Talk TV. How do we uh, change that urgently, as the Prime Minister says, when we're dealing with mob rule? I'd love to know your thoughts on all the semantics of this as well. I mean, does it matter what words that are used? Um, let's also talk about breaking news in the last half hour. So the latest Home Office statistics uh, on asylum. Um, Highest since records began last year in 2023, 62,336 people were granted asylum in this country. There were also 67,000 asylum applications last year. That's down 17% on the year before. Um, but we have now got um, 111,132 people getting asylum support, of which 41% are in hotels, costing us a darn fortune. Um, only 1,782 are in detention centres, although that figure has gone up. Um, the latest figures showing for the whole of 2023, 36,704 illegal migrants entered the country. That is down, government will be pleased, 33% on 2022. But we have now got a backlog of asylum applications, which stands at over 95,000. Again, that figure is down, 28% the year before. But again, it's 95,000. Um, uh, and we've seen um, an increase um, of around the sort of 70% mark of enforced returns, uh, over 6,000 of those, and voluntary returns, not those being Albania, 19,000. Um, loads of stats, let's throw them out. But basically, here's the one. A record number of people granted asylum last year, 62,336 people. Um, we know that our records for granting asylum, although very, very slow, can often take years. There's clearly massive chaos in the Home Office. They've speeded it up in, in, in the last sort of few months, in the last six months or so. However, um, we also know that we, give a, we have a much higher acceptance rate for asylum seekers yeah than do other countries, particularly, say, Germany, which receives far more applications than we do. What's going on there? You worked in the Home Office. We didn't have figures anywhere near this high. We certainly didn't have uh, the boat crossing, so I have to put that caveat out there right away. We uh, did our came pieces. over in lorries then? They did. We, we did our pieces when it reached 200 coming across the channel. That was how bad it was, and we had all sorts of things set up. I mean, I think the really worrying thing is there is another 95,000 people stuck in a backlog, which on current uh, performance, around sort of 90% of those are going to be granted. And you, you look at it and you think, how is the Home Office, the government, ever going to make a difference to this if they're not going to start returning? I mean, once they're granted asylum, then, then they, for instance, they can go and work, yeah. they can go and do things like that. The key issue is like, where are these people are coming from? Are we yeah. making the right decisions? Why are we granting so many more than us? Now, we know that the cases that aren't in the backlog tend to be the ones that are more likely to be granted. Yes. Um, but from what I can understand from some of the immigration experts we've talked to over the years, goodness me, there's been a lot of them, um, has been that actually these people often aren't granted asylum. They're basically sort of, we've basically given up. Yeah. We're granting you leave to stay. You go off the books. But they haven't actually proved an asylum case. They're not necessarily yeah. people fleeing persecution and war. But we've, they're basically, we've given up. 
will yeah. let you stay. That's yeah. the vast majority of those people. It is. It'll be a, a sort of five-year leave to remain um, and then they'll deal with a, the application a bit further down the line. It takes them off of uh, one set of figures and puts them onto another set But they're of basically figures. going to be allowed to stay for life at that point. I think essentially after five years, you're going to find it incredibly difficult to prove a case of getting rid of somebody unless they are a foreign national offender. And, and at that criminal. point, human rights laws kick in. Well, Absolutely. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a right to maintain their family life here. They put down roots, they've yeah. got a cat. I mean, they've, they've bought some pot plants, so therefore they're allowed to stay. I mean, that's it. Look, yeah. we, we have a long and wonderful history in this country of, of taking an asylum because and, and indeed, it, it is fascinating, actually, how many people who are prominent politicians, actually, uh, are, are the children of people who've, been, yeah. who've come in through that route, people who were, you know, en masse from countries where you know, war-torn, former colonies mm-hmm. and the like. And, and I do believe we're in that duty of care, and I think those people can be a great asset to the country as well as us offering them refuge. But... We all know when you look at the, you only have to look at the video footage of the people arriving on these dinghies. They're young men. They are not the most destitute, most most in need. We know that. These people are economic migrants. 90% of them, we are told, do not even have documentation quite deliberately. So no one knows where they're from. They mm-hmm. can't be sent back anywhere. Um, and we're paying for these people. Latest figures from, I think, the Labour Party put together uh, £15 million cost a day. Uh, housing and paying for asylum seekers, £5.4 billion a year. These figures are astronomical. But it's very interesting that the Labour Party bring that up when their plans seem to be increasing the number of people who are allowed to stay in the United Kingdom. So if this is the large figure at the moment, what is it going to be under a Labour government? You have to wonder why on earth they would put that out there if it's only going to rip down their own chances of electoral success. I mean, this is it. I don't think anyone for anyone thinks that they're going to do a better job than the Tories. The Tories have done a dire <laughs> job. But other than the fact they claim they're just going to have nicey-nicey talks with the EU and Macron. And Macron has been deliberately not helping the British government because, you know, Brexit. Um, um, and, and, and suddenly when Labour in charge, Macron's going to basically have non-stop patrols around yeah. Calais and no one's ever going to get on a boat. They are living in cloud cuckoo land. They are. The problem isn't also at Calais. You have missed the point if you think that it all starts and ends at Calais. It doesn't. You have to look at where people are coming from. Middle East, yeah. North Africa route, you need to be working out there. You do have to go into but the Middle East. Going... You do have to work with places like Turkey. You're not going to stop these people from, from, from coming, a lot of them, because they do no. want a better life at economic migrants. And I completely understand that. Yeah. Um, but also in terms of the benefits they get, what people do get when they're here, although they're living destitute. Well, you know, life wasn't that great where they were coming from. The big issue, and I think it's the same issue, is going on with like, Trump and Biden visiting the Texas border yeah. uh, both today as part of their electioneering. Uh, we two million migrants allow illegal migrants crossing the border yeah. um, in the last year under Biden, for goodness sake, massive, build the wall from you know, Donald Trump. Um, we, we've got the issue across the whole of EU. It's going to be a massive issue in the European elections coming up in June, and, and it's been a massive issue in terms of mm-hmm. uh, European you know, parliamentary elections as well. Um, the, the Western nations are saying, enough. We are not going to take in the whole of the developing world because their countries aren't nice enough to live in. You're going to have to stay and sort out your own country. We are not going to have you as our problem. And I think that's going to be the biggest issue in the future of pretty much every Western government now. It is. And 
why don't Western governments now actually decide to work together rather than having all of these different uh, agreements? Because that would make them racist and bigots like us because we're talking about it. But I think that actually it's a much bigger conversation than that. And this yeah. is about sharing a burden. This is about sending people back whence they came if they shouldn't have an asylum claim in any country whatsoever and actually looking at it on a much more global scale. And I think you can do that. I don't think there's necessarily the political will to do it, yeah. certainly from this country at the moment. And it's going to be very difficult to have those agreements in place. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean you shouldn't no, indeed. Do it. I have a funny feeling the British public are going to um, make sure that in a few years' time, if not this year, that yeah. the, uh, the, the, the British uh, political establishment is going to have no choice but to take this issue yeah. more seriously. Let's talk about an announcement today about keeping more kids in school, um, uh, a, 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 a rising of a fine of £60 up to £80, and it should be nationwide, the rules to be enforced nationwide by every uh, local authority if you take your kid out of school. Um, I find this fascinating. I mean, this fee, this fine, like all fines, would double if you uh, um, if you don't pay it in the first couple of weeks, and you could eventually go, go you know, basically case criminal action if you don't actually pay the After 28 days, I think, you could be prosecuted. Well... Gillian Keegan, the Education Secretary, has announced these higher penalties, but says that this is including dealing with pupils who miss school due to term-time holidays, but that action won't be taken until a child has missed five days of school over a 10-week period. So you're basically talking about a child missing one-tenth, five days is, is, is a week, out of a 10-week term. So you basically, a kid can have three weeks off a year during term time, and there won't be any fines. Um, a, insane, yes. uh, B, the government has lost, and accounts, local councils and schools have lost all moral authority on the issue. When you close schools to children, and in large part, comprehensive schools fail to get, in fact, I know some top private schools that failed to provide any lessons at all for months on end, didn't mark any homework, absolutely useless. They should, these people should all be sacked on the spot, in my view. Um, uh, when you close schools to children during the, the lockdown period, um, parents have a right now to say... <laughs> But we know you don't think school is important. You close them to most yeah. of our children. Yeah, and I, and I think that's exactly it. Parents were left with the burden of teaching the children themselves with no help whatsoever yep. from trained professionals. And it was well, incredibly difficult. Every teacher did a wonderful job, I'm constantly told. Well, apart from all the kids who didn't get any lessons. And my child was one of those. Yep. He really was. And I tried my best, but I was also working full time. It was very difficult. I'm not a teacher. I don't mm. profess to be any good at this. I think if you're looking at term time holidays, well, let's perhaps change the calendar of the school year. Let's be a little bit radical about this. Prices go up, supply and demand. I'm all for yeah. a free market. Why not move school holidays around so you don't get those peaks and troughs in holidays? Although, although we are always going to have them. I mean, France, yeah. France has their, for instance, their February-ish half-time. It goes over a whole month and you get these, you know, it's staggered. Summer holidays, again, Germany, France, other countries, they have staggered for different regions and you, and you can look it up for the next three or four years to make your plans. And so everybody isn't basically leaving school on the same day and everyone rushes to the airport. So there's a... There's an argument for that, and that gives parents a little bit more leeway. But it seems to—I just think the message needs to go out to parents. You know, your kid's got a cold; you can get a cheaper flight. Tough. Your job as a parent is to have your kid in school. Your yeah. kid's job is to be in school. That's the yes. deal. But I think, I think, I think the government and I think schools have completely thrown away their own moral authority on this, and it's their own fault. They have. I mean, my mother was a teacher. I was never allowed no. time off. Uh, there was no sympathy whatsoever, and no. I've been the same with with my child. Absolutely. Too. If, if you can, if you can, awesome. if you can get into school, end of. Um, let's yeah. talk about Prince Harry. Always, always the victim. 
always the victim. Uh, Prince Harry lost his legal bid uh, to reinstate his uh, uh, full sort of police armed protection uh, whenever he's in the UK. doesn't get it automatically. Uh, he's facing a more million-pound legal bill. He says he's going to challenge this, uh, appeal this case. Um, we, we also know that the, the government, whilst fighting it, his majesty's government, so his dad's government, um, also faces fees around that sort of amount. I've always... I, we all went into the wrong profession. Yes. I mean, why are we not all top barristers, really? Um, but, I mean, again, he got the money to fight these cases. Apparently not the money for his own security. I hate having to defend Prince Harry. I think he should need that security. I think he should pay for it himself. I really he think... Can't, he can't... No, but he can't pay for armed security no. when he's in the UK. It's no, not, not legal I'm, for him to do so. I just think it's one of these arguments. He comes over here so infrequently. He states that he doesn't like the United Kingdom and that's why it's he left. Uh, no, it's I, see, I don't think it is. I think that you need to be able to suck this up. You have made your choice. The threat to he you... He should suck up the risk of being killed because he fought for our country in Afghanistan. And so because, you want to pay and, and be, for his security? I think No, I don't want to pay. I just think and because it's not his fault he was born. Uh, into the royal family, and he's he is a target of threats. Now the courts say he isn't a specific target of threats. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't, I you know, that may well be the case, but it seems to me that he's got an argument to have security, and I think the state should pay for it. In the same way, I think they should have been paying for Nigel Farage's security all this time. When people are they're paying for a random Labour backbench MP's security, or they we had some people saying they've brought it on, they've brought it on themselves. Well, I don't think anyone brings on the need to have security. I think the state should cover it. Yeah, see, I, and this is where I'll disagree with you because I think that he left the country. He is not a working royal. He shouldn't be entitled to royal or diplomatic Everyone protection. in this country should be entitled to be safe. I don't... Well, that I don't disagree with. You're well, right. Included. But he can have private security. It doesn't mean he can't have, that he can't has have, armed security. He can't have armed security. In this no, country. I know that. But, but he can have he private security. Well, I mean, just because he thinks that's what he needs, the risk has been okay. assessed as not being that. Can I just also ask you one final story because I've got to get to texts and calls on what Rishi Sunak had to say. But uh, we talked about this earlier in the week. Scarlett Blake, a man... People go, I've got his articles. He was born male. No, he's male. No, you're not just born. You either are or you aren't. He's a man. Scarlett Blake. He was sentenced to life uh, with minimum of 24 years in prison on Monday for the murder of Jorge Martin Carino in Oxford, having previously mutilated a cat. He was basically, yeah. judge reckon, inspired by something in Netflix. He's been sent to a men's prison, quite rightly, but was referred to as a woman during the trial. But it can be disclosed today that the crimes of this cat killer and murderer will be officially recorded as having been committed by a woman because his preferred gender uh, uh, identity is as a woman. He's a man. It, this, as, as J.K. Rowling said, I'm sick of this beep. These are not our crimes. A woman did not commit those crimes. A man did. Why is that recorded as a woman's crime? It shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. I think J.K. Rowling was absolutely right with her statements that this is not our crime. This yeah. is a man. They have been sent to a men's prison, rightly so, as you say. It should not be recorded yep. as a female crime. Absolutely. Um, talking of which, uh, men's crimes, um, we're going to have a report out in the next few minutes from Wayne Cousins and what the police could have done uh, to prevent uh, the, the uh, abduction, rape and murder of Sarah Everard back in 2021 um, by him as an off-duty police officer. Because there were so many signs that this man was a danger. Not least the fact that he was nicknamed the rapist by his fellow officers. 
maybe a giveaway. I don't know. I'm going out on a limb here. Um, but we'll go, get to that report as soon as we do get it. Um, first up, though, uh, let's go back to what Rishi Snack had to say yesterday, talking to police chiefs. He said that uh, there's, he's warning them of a growing consensus that mob rule is replacing democratic rule. And he said we must change that urgently. He said collectively we must do that. I want to know from you. How? Do we do that? Uh, give us a call, 0344 uh, 499-1000. Text to Get in touch on X at Talk TV. John says, maybe order the police to enforce existing laws. <laughs> John, John, you and your silly ideas. Enforcing the law? Come on. Uh, Phil says, bring in the army to break up the protests. Well, I'll put that to a former uh, uh, army chief, uh, Lord Dannett, a little bit later. And Kevin says, best thing to do is for Sunak to resign and get someone else with a backbone to tackle the ever-increasing threat the people of the UK. The Julia Hartley Brewer podcast. Ruthless but fair. Julia Hartley Brewer. Comprehensive coverage of all the new stories that matter to you. Harder, older, Hartley Brewer. The Julia Hartley Brewer podcast from Talk Radio.